0: What's the stuff that you loved before work took over your life? When you were a kid, we often have hobbies. We often have sports that we do. During our 20s, we eat away at the time that we used to do those things within. A joyful life for everyone is going to look slightly different depending on what your preferences are, depending on your style, depending on what your values are, all of those. And I personally define success as living a really joyful life. It's like finding the joy in life and being able to really make the most of those wonderful, joyful moments.
1: Have you been successful at feeling joy in every moment or in Most moments.
0: There are real life and real work things that happen where you will not necessarily always feel the joy. So, with every goal, wherever it is, there's going to be some stuff about it that you like that you're going to find easy to do. There's going to be some stuff about it that you find hard to do that you're not going to like. And there's going to be some stuff that you're going to have to say no to in order to say yes to the goal. And we need to understand how determined we are to make that particular thing happen. There is always going to be kind of some trade off at some point that goes, Do you know what? Willpower isn't gonna be enough here. Willpower is not a thing that really helps you. It's about.
1: Welcome to another episode of Success With Purpose, where we help mentor you into becoming a more successful version of yourself. We do this through giving you access to mentors you typically would never have the opportunity to connect with. We explore their journeys, their experiences, their life-changing events, their fields of expertise, and most importantly, their purpose. My name is Harry Goldberg, husband to an incredible woman, father of two amazing daughters, host, interviewer and interrogator of this podcast, and director and advisor and meditation teacher of Purpose Advisory. This purpose-driven project is entirely funded by Purpose Advisory, which I am a director of. We guide clients to make great life and money decisions, and we do this through a range of different services, life vision experiences, personality, investment strategies, cash flow systems, and through teaching meditation. If you want to learn any more about any of these, link in the comments below. Now, just before we learn from yet another exceptional guest, If you find value from these conversations, please make sure to like and subscribe below, leave a review, it really does make a difference. And of course, share with someone else who's gonna find value. Now, listen in, pay attention, take some notes, enjoy. Let's begin. Beth Solwood, welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited to chat with you today, Harry.
1: I'm looking forward to it. All right, so, okay, so for the listeners, and we'll dive into your journey properly, uh, but from the high level, you kind of went from sales across to performance coaching, and then operations, and then talent development. I think it was about six years ago you transitioned to leadership consulting, uh, and also managing your company called Workjoy as coach, yeah. author of the book which is behind you three times, right. uh, and podcaster. Oh, four. We got four, five, <laughs> we got five of them. of them. We There's got plenty of them. Of them. <laughs> All right, go. look before before we dive into this journey of how you got to where you are and a lot of your life purpose and your mission and why you're doing it I'm really curious how do you define success
0: oh it's such a good question and I've been trying to work it out in like a one sentence thing mm-hmm. and I personally for me define success as living a really joyful life so whether okay. that's at work whether that's Um, at home, whether that's with your friends, it's like finding the joy in life and being able to really make the most of those wonderful, joyful moments.
1: Okay. So it's not just living a joyful life. It's also making the most of the joy that you're able to find.
0: Yeah. So it's like actually realizing what the joy is and being able to do even more of it and to bring more of it into the lives of other people as well. So if I think about my, my kind of business purpose, it's about finding that joy and helping other people to find that joy in their working lives as well.
1: Okay. And you said an interesting term when you were sharing that. You said a really joyful life. Yeah. So what's the difference between a really joyful life and a joyful life?
0: Like a joyful life, I think is one where you appreciate the moments that come to you that happen. Whereas Mm -hmm. I think a really joyful life is where you're really thinking about it and doing the joyful things and doing more of those joyful things and finding the joy even when times are tough because there's always these things about it's either bad or good and our lives don't actually work in that binary fashion it's like oh even through those difficult times what joy did I find through the journey of working through that challenge so really Mm. joyful to me is really using it as a focus area
1: yeah okay so you're making joy the center and so what what's the difference then between uh words which people often have interchangeable with joy right so like joy versus Happiness versus excitement versus fun things. What's the why specifically joy?
0: So I specifically use joy rather than happiness because I think happiness feels like a massive, big thing to aim for, as if it kind of always has to be there. Whereas when you think about the term joy, joy can be like a micro moment of joy, it could be a little tiny thing that happens. It can also be kind of a big theme and it allows that. Um, big difference between small things, big things, moments uh rather than having to kind of feel happiness all the time, which I think is a a big stretch because we can feel joy even when we're sad, we can feel joy during different times uh during challenging times during times when we're happy, we will feel joy as well, but I think joy specifically has a really broad way of thinking and something that you can do something right now it's it's activating it you could go and do something right now harry that would bring you a bit of joy if you know what that is but to try and aim for happiness that would be a bigger scarier longer term thing to work on whereas joyfulness can happen in those moments and it can happen on a big scale
1: right okay so you're saying that joy you can feel in any moment Have you been successful at feeling joy in every moment or in most moments? No,
0: no. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a a challenge here. It's not 100% of the time. And especially when I talk about work joy, there are real life and real work things that happen where you will not necessarily always feel the joy. So Mm. you do feel the gloom as well. I call it work gloom in the, in the work joy side of things, the stuff that isn't going so well, but I think there's something around understanding that you don't have to feel it all the time that you're allowed to kind of be at that neutral place. You're allowed to kind of be in that, oh, this doesn't feel good place. But it's about how do you bring yourself out of those places? How do you move into a more joyful mindset? How do you step into the joy when it's there and notice it? Now, we all have in our minds um, something that's called negativity bias. It's brilliant. It's there to keep us safe. It has kept us doing great things for many, many, many years. But what it makes us do is look at the one crappy thing that might have happened today and ignore the hundred bits of joyful stuff because this bit over here we need to work on we need to move away from and it's invented in our it's it's developed in our brains to be like oh there's a bear over here we need to like spot the danger we need to focus on the danger but in real life as it stands now we very rarely use that negativity bias to help us it often becomes the thing that gets us into that kind of spiral of being slightly miserable and only seeing the bad stuff that goes on so it's about actually reminding ourselves that there are great things that are happening and giving ourselves some focus there not in a toxic positivity kind of way not in pretending that the bad stuff doesn't happen but in going do you know what through the bad stuff I might learn something through the bad stuff I might be able to realize what it is that really works for me to realize what kind of I'm in it for what my values are what my purpose what my mission is I can find those things out. And sometimes we only see the joy kind of in the rear view mirror. It's like, oh, that's what that whole difficult process was about. But I'm now able to do something differently. I'm able to learn something new. I'm able to step into a more joyful mindset because I've been through some of the difficult times. So it's not about ignoring that stuff. It's not about being joyful 100% of the time. I think that would be really hard. And I also think it would be really annoying for other people if you were just completely like, no, everything's brilliant, when, you know, there is some stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's about allowing yourself to use the joy to kind of work through things, to find the things that work for you. And over time, what you do find, and I've managed to do this, is that, you know, little bits of joy creep up, creep up, creep up. Creep up. So your baseline is higher than it was before. Mm-hmm. What neutral look like for you would be another person's like massively joyful. So it gives you that ability to over time to really work through some of those challenging things to know what works for you to be able to step into it when you need it and to have some resources and some resilience that when the crap stuff happens you're able to move through it and you're able to move past it and into where you really want to be
1: okay and so where does that come into success i know you define success as having a really joyful life and actually before we even do that when you say really joyful are we talking about is this like a percentage of time that we feel joyful or is the level of joy that we end up achieving?
0: I think it's probably more like how often are you able to be in the more joyful zone? Right. So it's probably more like I would never want to put a percentage on it for anyone else. I reckon I get to yeah. do it like 80% of my waking hours, like 80-20 mm-hmm. is usually a good percentage. Some people are chronically in work gloom like they cannot Mm -hmm. it's really hard to find your way out of it but when we relate it to success if we look at joy we look at kind of the joyful mindset and we look at how when we're looking at work we can be successful because there's so many different ways of determining what success is work outside work all these different things is that it's very difficult to have a really good idea to innovate to kind of disrupt the status quo to find the future if you're not feeling great We often have our best ideas when we're in the zone of joy, when we are feeling good about our work, you know, the idea of feeling in flow in our work, when we're in collaborative relationships that bring us joy is often where we kind of spark the ideas and where we're able to come up with better solutions in our working lives. When we're coming at it from a negative perspective, when we're in the kind of gloom field, we often try and fix the problem rather than find the solution, the long-term, the better thing that could happen versus just fixing a problem. Or
1: fixing the problem that we see as opposed to necessarily the problem that's there, right? Yeah,
0: so we often fix surface problems. So we fix the problem that makes Mm -hmm. us feel miserable. But what we haven't done is work the 10 steps back and go, what's the actual problem here? Mm -hmm. So we tend to just try and work on not feeling quite so crap versus Mm -hmm. when we're in that joyful mindset we're able to look at the bigger picture we're able to open our minds up we're also much much more inclusive in the way we consider things and get people's opinions and perspectives and can be more collaborative like i'm sure in your career and in your life you've worked with some mood hoovers right the people who kind of suck the life out of you
1: yeah Yeah, i mean more (laughs) yeah more so when i was working in corporate be in a in a bank a nice big (laughs) corporate bank so yeah Yeah. i'm familiar with that
0: that. like the mood hoovers it kind of it's really hard to get stuff done. When you're in that mm. space, when you're working with people who are in it and care about it and they're able to come with ideas and suggestions and you're able to work together and challenge each other but in a really positive way, you're able to come up with more solutions. I think there's other things like you're able to engage yourself better with your work when you're feeling mm-hmm. good about life and work. And these two things, life and work, are actually not really separate. Work fits into this bigger thing we call life. And they often, you sure. often talk about like work-life balance as a term absolutely I just hate it because why does work come first and also why are we thinking about these things in balance? Life is a big thing and work is a part of that, that life yep. situation. But we're able to better engage ourselves at work and we're able to better engage ourselves in home. We're able to better set boundaries based on sensible ideas. We're able to think about our learning and our growth and our development. So if we look at it, there's so many different angles from which being able to at many points in your life come at it with a joyful mindset you're able to achieve more in what you're trying to get done because you're coming at it from a place of hope and positivity and openness and broader thinking rather than coming at it from a mood hoover I'm a bit miserable I just want to solve the problem and get on with it I don't want to talk to anyone angle
1: Mm -hmm. I guess it's possible as well that some people like Some people are just more introverted and they tend to feel better and less stressed and more creative when they're around fewer people. And some people might think that they're, they're worried about others or too anxious or nervous or just weird, but Hey, they're just introverted. That's who they are. And they might be experiencing a joyful life in that way. Yeah.
0: They could a joyful life can be a very quiet life. It can be Mm. a one where you're not, you know, the life and soul of the party. That is not the definition of work joy. It's not about, Mm. you know, jazz hands and kind of being excited about stuff and being out there a joyful life for everyone is going to look slightly different depending on what your preferences are depending on your style depending on what your values are what you you know really want in life what you want your career to look like all of those kind of things. They're all dependent for your joyful life. So somebody's joyful life could be actually, I've set a boundary about how much time I spend with other people, because it makes me more joyful to spend time alone. And that's okay, Mm -hmm. because I've just worked out what works for me. And if that's what works for you, brilliant. And if that's where you come up with your best ideas, brilliant. But that's Mm -hmm. the, the find finding your own joy and using that to bring it into your working life.
1: Okay, so all right, well, let's look at your journey. Uh, so towards this living a more joyful life, you said something like 80% and that it's creeping up and the standard which you have now is way above the standard which you would have used to have hoped for in the past. Yeah. What have been, what have been the three most pivotal moments that have led to where you are today? Oh,
0: such good things. And, um, it's really interesting because I actually set an intention when I was really quite young around, it was around happiness originally, and um I used to do a lot of drama when I was a teenager do a lot of acting and that kind of stuff I loved it and I remember the chairman of our amateur dramatics group um who was probably like the same age as my parents asked me one day when I was about 15 or 16 or something like that I said oh what do you want to be when you grow up and I replied to him happy and He was expecting me to talk about, like, I want to be an actress or I want to go and, you know, work here or do this. I just said, I want to be happy and I want to find ways of being happy. So I set that intention really early on. And then it's obviously taken like 25 years to get to the point of like understanding what that really is for me. And you asked about kind of three pivotal moments. And I think they are Moments and themes. So, I worked in financial services. Um, I worked in the public sector, and I've worked in sport in terms of my employed jobs. And obviously, for the last six years, I've been at running my own organisation, doing development work, doing people work, trying to do the people stuff better, coaching, etc., writing a book, all of that kind of stuff. And what I would say is that there are moments, but they're interestingly, they are moments that happened in each of those organisations. So versus a kind of specific moment in time, they're themes about when these things came together, things happened and I was able to really utilize them. And the first one is in every kind of corporatist job I had. So they weren't all corporate, but they were all kind of being employed jobs that I had. Whenever I decided and took the, I don't know, at the time it felt quite brave. It doesn't feel brave looking back at it. Brave decision to be fully myself at work with a professional filter because we all, you know, there's some stuff we don't necessarily want to bring to work, but I think (laughs) fully myself with a professional filter engaged, they were always the moments where the opportunities came, I got promoted, I found ways of developing into kind of what I wanted to be and being able to really capture what I wanted to do within each of those organizations. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because when we talk about things like belonging to organizations and engagement with organizations, we often all go into organizations, start a new job. And we're so keen to try and fit in that we kind of mould and adapt ourselves to kind of fit in to start with. And what I found is every time I stepped out of that box of trying to fit in and stepped into, this is who I am, this is what I've got to bring, this is what I want to do. That was when in each of those careers, and I, I was promoted in each of the jobs I had, in each of those different areas, that was the time when things happened for me. So for me, there's something about being I mean this word is bandied around all the time I'm not sure I particularly like it but kind of being the authentic version of you knowing what that is knowing who you are and knowing what you bring I think is a really important thing whether you want to put it under the authentic banner or just being you being yourself
1: you're, you're defining authentic as being yourself or just knowing who you are and trying to act in line with it
0: I think knowing who you are and trying to act in line with it is the mm-hmm. the, the difference because like rather than trying to tweak yourself to be who everyone else is or to be like everyone else in that organization being yourself and knowing who you are and being able to act in line with that I think really makes well it made a big difference for me I I have to say in, in all of the careers I had and I think the second part and again it happens and it's happened even more so being running my own business is really thinking and nurturing and valuing and loving your network, your closest people in your network. Now I call them your squad, the people who are there rooting for you, supporting you, enabling you, challenging you, um, connecting you to other people, and really valuing those relationships. So having the conversations, going for, you know, going for a coffee with people, knowing who these people are, telling them what value they bring to you. And those people, not just within an organization, although having a network within an organization is really great. But the people who are outside your organisation, who can challenge you in different ways or bring different perspectives in, able to kind of consider and understand you and who you are and how you fit and what you do, that for me, it has been a mega brilliant thing to do. And I think I started doing it by accident and then I realised actually there's so much value in this and I now do it on purpose. So How do you finding, do it on purpose. <laughs> I do it on purpose by making sure that the people who are in my squad. So I if in the book there's a chapter on the squad, I have like six different roles that um I, I suggest people think about having in their squad. Um and I deliberately have regular conversations with those people, whether that's in person or online, or we meet up, we go for, you know, coffees, we go for brunch, we have in-depth conversations and really valuing each of them for what they bring so they know what they bring to me and it's one of those things that can easily get lost in the quagmire of trying to get life and work and like you've got young kids and all that kind of stuff trying to do life and work and trying to fit this in is hard but I think for me I value it just as much as like a conversation with a client and to really put it at the top of my to-do list not on the I haven't done this and so many people who come to me and need some help with some coaching around work have gone I've totally lost my network because I've been so kind of looking down and getting the work done and kind of taking off the list I've forgotten that it's the people that we surround ourselves with that we have those supporting relationships with that can really enhance what we do and where we get to. So what are
1: those six roles for you?
0: The six roles. This is, you're gonna to test to make sure I know them. So they're the six C's. So then, I mean you um,
1: <laughs> have you have some books behind you. If you need I do it, have some books you behind you. They're, they're in,
0: in there. I, yeah. I don't know. So <laughs> we have the um comrades. So you know the people if you're you are in the kind of the corporate world or if you're in a team. They're kind of in it with you, next to you. They understand mm-hmm. the context. They know what you're going through. You might kind of beef each other up when you need to go into something challenging they're kind of really there next to you we have the connectors and I don't know if you've ever met anyone like this Harry but I have a couple in my life and I think actually quite often I'm the person acting as one of these they're the connectors they go oh Harry you really want to try and do this you probably need to talk to this person over here Mm -hmm. go and go and have a chat with them and see what they do and they kind of have this massive black book of people that whenever you say anything they're like oh yeah I know who you need to talk to to yeah, get that sorted. People. They are amazing people and it is so brilliant. And also they love connecting people. So they're not there kind of doing it like, oh, I'll do it for you if you do it for me. They mm-hmm. really, really want to make it happen. So yeah. we've got um what if I said so far? Co- uh comrades and connectors, um, conjurers. So these are like the little magic people. They're actually quite rare. You don't see them all the time. Um, what they are what they do is they kind of appear. I always think of them like a little bit like a fairy godparent. They appear at a time you need them. They come along and they kind of wave their magic wand and are able to really bring to you whatever it is you need at that moment, whether it's a person or some resources or a conversation or something, but you almost don't know what you need. And they kind of fill a gap within Mm -hmm. that space. They're able to kind of really make that happen so they're quite rare the connectors aren't rare but you need to be able to find them and know who they are to be able to make that happen and the comrades especially if you work in a team are often there kind of in that lovely big space we also have the challenges and often these are the things that people find really hard to find is the people who will go to you do you know what harry i think you need to change that this behavior is not working for you or to kind of go hmm you said you really, really wanted X, Y, Z in your life, but you're not doing anything for that. What's that all about? Where? Why aren't you doing that thing you said you're going to do? And they really do it with love. So they don't do it with, you know, you're so bad at what you do. They do it with a real sense of, I care about you. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in your success, but I'm going to hold you accountable for stuff. And they people often when they do kind of a little bit of tracking on this one they go that's the one that I don't know if I have enough of and sometimes you have them in other people but you haven't given them permission to challenge you you haven't said can you challenge me but they're mm. really really useful people to help you so yeah. if you haven't got any of them you need some of them in your life but there's a difference between someone being tough and tough love they're tough love because they're in yeah. it because they want you to be successful. They want you to have the life that you want to have. They want you to have all the things that you want to have. Um, so what have I done so far? Yeah. La, 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 la. Um, creatives. So you know the people that you go to, like, and I mean creative in kind of a thought creation way, versus a they can draw you a lovely picture. Although, isn't it great to have people who are that kind of creative, artistically creative as well. So the creatives are there they're the people who when you need a different idea or a new approach or a different perspective on something they come to you and they are like right you ask them questions they ask you questions they think about you know what it is that they bring to it often it's people who have a different background different experience different speciality to you maybe different life stage all these different things but they come to you and are able to make you think a bit broader or a bit like something different over here that I've not considered before. So it's creativity and thinking. It can also be creativity and like they show you wonderful pictures and stuff, but I really think about it as thinking. And then so that's five. And then the final one, and one of the most important ones I think in our squad is the cheerleaders. So the people who are like, Beth or Harry I am like 100% behind you I think you're brilliant I'm going to help you feel that injection of excitement when you need it I'm going to be here when you need a little bit of an ego or confidence boost I'm going to be the person that talks about you and raves about you and tells everyone how brilliant you are both to your face and to other people
1: what's the difference between that and comrades
0: yeah cheerleaders don't have to be in it with you they don't actually have to have the experience that you have so a comrade is like side by side like in the trenches as it were working with you understanding the full context being with you and supporting you they're the kind of people like you know if you ended up in trouble they'd be in trouble with you whereas a cheerleader can be actually slightly separate from you they don't have to be in your organization they just have to really respect and love what you do and be very much advocating for you as a person as well so all of them have a crossover between each other and i always think that one person can actually do more than one of those jobs because there are people who can be great cheerleader and great comrades they could be both of those together but they also can be separate people as well then they don't act unlike a normal team they don't actually all have to know each other so you don't they you know your comrades might not know your cheerleaders they might not be part of the same thing because Having a diverse squad, having people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different industries, all those different things can be massively helpful to you, especially when you're looking at developing growth, creativity, all of that kind of stuff.
1: Mm. Oh, this is cool. I'm I'm reminded of uh, Vinjeang who was on episode 15, I think. Uh, he is amazing. one of the One of the best keynote speakers in the world on communication is incredible. But check him out. You'll. I'm anyone well. listening to this if you're enjoying yeah, this conversation you will <laughs> love the one within uh but one of the things that he does when anytime he's trying to create a new keynote or in the past when he was trying to create a new magic show he'd get people of very different backgrounds uh, and different fields of expertise pay them yeah. if he needed to but get them all into a room together uh, for a few days he was inspired by the Beatles where they locked themselves in a the room for, for weeks, yeah. I think it was, until the Beatles came out. Oh, sorry, until Let It Be came out. And it's the first few days, you don't really get anything done. But then towards the end, it's like, oh, okay, better better make sure that something's actually happening here. <laughs> and, and then, like, if you've got an artist and you've got an engineer and you've got a lawyer and... Uh, You've got someone who's been in really high senior leadership roles. You've got someone who's been much more of an entrepreneur and they're all in the same room together and they're all working on the same thing together. And there's a culture of challenging each other. It's pretty cool.
0: It's like Uh, where the magic happens.
1: Yes. Where the the magic happens. Some very cool magic happens from there. Uh, And then I, I was reflecting as you were sharing about these six different roles and my... For myself about two years ago i didn't have many mentors i'm yeah uh, my business partner introduced the particular concept to me which i was actually coaching clients through as well uh of creating a mentor map and just working out do you have the support like if something's wrong you can map it out on your on the mentoring map basically you can say who are your mentors peer mentors so mentors are the ones that you look up to and aspire towards Peer mentors, the ones you look up to and you're sharing the journey with them. Peers are the individuals where you're going on the journey with them. And you can both learn from each other. Peer mentees is they look up to you and you're sharing the journey with them. And mentees, they're just looking up to you and you're helping them out. And you can, you can't have any person in multiple of those categories, but you can have the same person across multiple areas of your life, say financial or business or health. Uh, or fitness, or spirituality, or relationships—any area of your life, right? You can have someone that you really look up to for about relationships, but you're like health—I oh, don't know, right? Yeah, you... like, work maybe
0: not so much, you know? <laughs> right,
1: right. Like my uh, my jujitsu coach. When it comes to health and fitness, man, here's a here's a mentor for me there. That's for sure. Maybe in some ways peer mentor, but mostly mentor. Uh, when it comes to finances. Like it, he's a peer, peer mentee yeah, uh, because a small business, all that kind of stuff. And when it comes to spirituality, we don't even talk about it when it comes to relationships. I mean, he's got a good marriage, but I don't think I'd go to him for relationship advice, right? Yeah. Like I have yeah. a lot of respect for him, but it doesn't mean you have to respect in all those areas. No. So, so I was coaching clients through all of this. And, and then I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should just do it for myself finally. <laughs> Great. Let's do it. And I realized I was really mentee and peer mentee heavy. that's because there were were a lot of clients in the mix and it it kind of ended up very heavy there and i didn't have many people in mentors i didn't have anyone in mentors and i had very few people in peer mentors and a few peers scattered throughout yeah and as soon as i started making sure that i've got the people who are the right mentors in those high like in each of the areas my life changed drastically for the better yeah and it wasn't the first time my life had changed drastically but it was incredible And so when I heard you talking about comrades, connectors, uh, conjurers, challengers, uh, creatives, cheerleaders, like I can name three people in my life who meet like individually, each of them probably meet almost all six of those. Yeah. uh, Or at least five out of those six and across those three, easy to, to meet them all. And then the other five or six mentors I'm really close with, uh, have like also cover a lot of those bases as well. it's amazing like do you do you help people find like do you have any advice for how people can find those types of roles in their life
0: I think the first thing to do is to map what you already have and whether Mm. you're utilizing them really well and I don't mean this in like using them I mean it in hey Harry I really think you're a great connector but I never ask you to connect me with people because Mm. I think I'm asking too much but could I Could I, could I get, do you know people in this space? So the first thing is know what you already have, like you did, like you've got the peer mentors and some mentees and mentees, but you're not, you weren't there with the mentors yet. Mm. Do the same thing. Know what you have and know where you might be able to kind of expand some of those relationships because you just don't use it. You know, the challenger is often a good one. Often your cheerleaders can also be your challengers, but you need to ask them to do it. You need to give them permission to do it whereas you might also want to go and find a coach who's maybe going to poke you and challenge you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So first thing to do is to map it, is to then think about, okay, who in your broader network do you already know who could kind of come in and do one of these roles? Because so often they're sat there on the periphery. We just haven't really engaged with them. We haven't really developed that relationship. And you might have some of them, maybe they are mentors. And, you know, I'm a massive advocate for mentoring. And I think we often think of mentors as one person Like here is my mentor, but like you, I want mentors for different things. I want people who are good at this and this and this, and there is no human being on earth who is good at everything. So we want to find the people who are going to be really good at this kind of stuff to be able to bring them in. So it's about look on your periphery. If you have got some connectors, use your connectors to find out who might be a good person to go and talk to. And also to think about, I think it's really good that what you're saying about like the peer mentees and the mentees, I learn so much from the people who are my peer mentees and my mentees as well. It's not a one-way relationship when you're in mentoring. It's a two-way relationship. It's just where you're you're at in your phase and your stage. And actually quite often I go and consult people who are like 10, 15, 20 years younger than me and go, I'm thinking about doing this, but tell me all the reasons I shouldn't do it that way. Tell me what I should be doing and kind of really use that diversity of thought that you get if you go from mentor- all the way through the process to mentees and if you go across these squads you know these six c's that i suggest here you could actually here's an interesting one we could go down we could they could be a matrix about mm-hmm. which role they sit in across on the six c's and where they are in terms of a mentoring relationship and mm-hmm. see where you can fill in those holes
1: yeah beautiful yeah, I like that. That would be fun. E- might, be, and, I might do and then, that. And then for each of the areas in life as well, right? Yes. Oh, for yeah. Each it's of the areas It's going to become a, not, a very so. complex matrix. But yeah, each of the areas.
0: <laughs> or... You know, each of the areas of life where you're wanting to make a change, to transition, to grow, to learn. So trying to do everything all in one go is probably one of the things I say as a route to not being successful. Knowing where you want to spend. If you want to change your finances or relationships or your working life, fit, focus on the ones that you either want to, you're really good at and you want to supercharge. Because like strength-based, like what am I already good at that I could be even better at? And also what's something I want to change, fix? work on as well and work on less but go deeper in the less that you're working on to then help parachute you to your next thing. There's always the opportunity to do it next. And sometimes with development and with learning and with growth and success, we try and do everything all at once. And that is a surefire way to not be successful.
1: What's what's brought you more joy working on your strengths or working on your areas to improve?
0: Working on my strengths. Yeah. Always always brought
1: always brought you more joy. Or has always. that always brought you more short-term joy?
0: No, long term joy as well. So I'm okay. a big believer. And I think because of the I I'm I'm always working on my not so good things as well, but there are some areas for improvement where I have gone I you know in the kind of knowing myself well, knowing what my strengths are, knowing what I'm good at, etc. There are I, I probably put things into three categories, like your strengths, the things that you're okay at, but could be better at. And the things that you're not good at, that with the greatest will in the world, you're probably never going to get there because either it's not in your wheelhouse or it's totally outside of where you want to spend your time. So for me, if it's in that third category, I'm always looking at how could I outsource that to somebody who's really good at it and take it off my list of things to do. In the middle category, I'm always like, how do I get 1% better at this every time I do it? How do I engage with it more? How do I learn to love some of that stuff? I mean, I I run my own business and I have done for a number of years now. And there are some things that I, I find really hard, but actually I quite enjoy doing because there's something about the struggle that really helps you kind of, you know, feel good when you've done it. But for me, whenever I take a strength And decide to develop it and decide to work on it and supercharge it. When you do that, for me, that is where I get the most joy from. And I also get a lot of joy from outsourcing things to people who are brilliant at the thing I am rubbish at. And just seeing them in their kind of zone of genius, being able to be in flow and doing it wonderfully. And doing it without the pain that it would cause me (laughs) to go through Mm -hmm. it.
1: Or are able to move through the pain. Like
0: David Yeah yeah like like we move through the pain is fine if, if it's something that i need to be able to do to be in my work and doing it really well and it has to be me that does it i will always find a way to work through it and i usually manage to find a way to do it. i always think of it like a bit like mary poppins like in every job that must be done there is an element of fun Have you ever heard that mm-hmm. song mary yeah. poppins um, yeah you know, it's an old one but a good one is that you if you really look at it in some things there is usually some joy to be found Not always, but there's usually something to be found if you really think about it. And if you don't go into it with a, oh, I'm going to hate this attitude, Mm -hmm. you go into it with a, do you know what? I'm going to be really proud of myself when I finish this thing because I find it really hard to do. Or I'm going to feel really good when I've learned how to do that because it's another skill added to my list. So it's kind of thinking about what is the outcome as well as what is the process.
1: Are there any areas in your life right now where you can very clearly identify, like, those are the areas I'm just I'm just always going to struggle in just leave that one away
0: (laughs) yeah so there's a reason why I don't manage my own diary that I have a um, assistant (laughs) executive assistant who manages my diary is I find it I can do it and I know I can do it because I did it for a number of years but I have lots of different clients all over the place from organizations to individuals trying to get stuff done trying to book appointments etc and I find the holding of time to then like work like you might be holding three different things to then have to change to then confirm my brain basically goes ah whenever that stuff Mm -hmm. is happening whereas when you know I I made a decision a couple of years ago to outsource it to a professional (laughs) executive assistant and I I said to them after the first year when we were kind of doing a little bit of a review I said you have taken 50% of the stress of my life away
1: (laughs) (laughs) amazing right
0: it's amazing and I think we should all remember that we are never going to be good at everything but somebody is good at, every, at something so it's about finding those right people and obviously in my world that's my decision to make and I can outsource but if you're a leader think about what are you delegating to people who are you getting involved in what you're doing to try and make stuff happen and it's there's some interesting research actually and I I don't often talk about this kind of stuff because it does involve money and I'm like actually we we don't need to have loads of money to find joy in our lives but there is research between the people who decide to outsource things to save their time they are happier than the people who can't do that
1: okay so it's not about how much money you have it's how effectively you actually use the money yeah you have. all, all what the resources yeah you you right? yeah all using yeah. all the
0: resources so it's not just money it's like who have you got around you we so often find that i mean you might find this in your work that leaders don't delegate stuff they keep control mm-hmm. and kind of try and hold on to stuff actually yeah. the more you move stuff on, the more you help other people develop. So I have a golden rule for um, delegating, which is delegate to develop, not to offload. So how are you going to develop the people in your team by delegating? But that allows you to have more space and time to think to do to focus on the stuff that really matters in mm-hmm. your role by kind of thinking about what other, other people do some people come to me for coaching and actually what we discover is it's not really the work stuff that's um, a challenge it's the home stuff and there hasn't been a kind of who's doing what at home there seems to be mm-hmm. kind of some imbalance in how that's working that it's kind of overwhelming and it's about working out that kind of Thing. So is it like, yeah. actually, the answer is to get a cleaner and your working life will be better. I know somebody who that mm-hmm. was the answer. They got a cleaner at home and suddenly everything else felt so much easier that everything else mm-hmm. kind of fell into place. Small things making a big difference.
1: Yeah. okay. And what about the things which only you can do? The things which you can't really outsource?
0: Yeah. Do them and do them brilliantly. Okay. And make sure that what you're doing is stuff that you really enjoy doing.
1: Oh. As in as in, like when you might not enjoy doing it. Like for myself, I there, there was a time where I really didn't enjoy exercise, for example. Mm-hmm. Really didn't enjoy doing it. I'm like, oh. Again, like if it was exercise, which I didn't really like, especially when it was running before I learned proper technique and learned how to properly manage it. <laughs> like and doing now I was pathway. having injuries and stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, whatever. Go Go and learn how to do it properly or find a sport which you really love and that kind of thing and try and align it as best as you can. Yeah. But it's just not natural for me to go yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go through some physical pain today it's there are some people where that's like kind of easy for them right like yeah. it's just part of their dna and for so, for many of us it's not right
0: i'm a great believer in experimentation and to try things out. And I think there's a part of many of us, I don't know if it's the same for you, where we were taught if we start something, we have to finish it. I don't know if you were mm. ever taught this. So if you started a new sport, you had to do like the whole term. You couldn't like go, I actually don't like this. But do you know what? As grown ups, we don't have to. We can try stuff mm. out and we don't have to keep going with it. So for me, experimentation would be in that situation. It's like, okay, actually, what sports might work for me I don't want to do physical pain like physical pain is not really where I want to spend my time so what kind of sport could I do that would enable me to feel good that would enable my health and well-being but wouldn't make me feel horrendous and wouldn't make Mm. me subject to injuries so all that kind of stuff so if I sit here and go okay well I've got really dodgy knees so running is going to be completely off the menu for me so what else do I do I've recently after 20 years not doing it retaken up doing ballet and mm, it's great. like some and I think this is a really good experiment actually to do and it's a personal one that I've done recently and I I'm going to advocate for even more than I did before having actually done it is what's the stuff that you loved before work took over your life mm. so when you were a kids we often have hobbies we often have sports that we do we often do different things and what I have found is that During our 20s, as kind of work becomes more prevalent, then during our 30s, as things like families, et cetera, take over, we eat away at the time that we used to do those things within. So I recently did retake up ballet. I do it once a week. It's an hour a week. It's not a massive time commitment but the joy felt in doing it and remembering all these things that I did learn 20 years ago and I actually was all right at my body as a 40 year old doesn't work as well as it did when it was 18 I'm gonna say that doesn't quite it's not quite as good but what it does for my brain and like the brain body connection and feeling really into something and because I have to really concentrate it's really mindful for me that's worked really well so whether that is you know, something that you used to do, whether it's actually taking a hobby you used to do and doing it in a different way. So I know a lot of people have got back into craft and things like that, you know, that uses their creative streak that they've forgotten about. Whatever, So go back and have a little think. What is something you did when you were a kid or a teenager that brought you loads of joy that you haven't done? Go and try it again and see if that works for you. And it might not. I've done lots of experiments and the ballet one is one that has stuck. Not all of them have. Um, But I think trying that those things again and seeing if they're great is a really easy, natural way back into something or Mm -hmm. and then if it's not that right. So what's the adjacent thing? So maybe it's not ballet. Maybe it's just doing some dancing. Maybe it's just dancing around your kitchen. Maybe it's something in that Mm -hmm. zone or maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's a a different kind of sport, or maybe it's a skill or a hobby, or maybe it's something new that you've always been interested in. I've had a bit of a year over the last year of experimenting with just learning stuff that's different. That's something to kind of take your brain away from the everyday world of work. And I've done things like a pottery class and a cooking class and a jewelry making class. And Mm -hmm. none of those things are going to be like long-term. I'm going to do this while I cook, I always, because you have to cook to be able to eat but you know i'm not going to be able to cook to that kind of level we did in you the don't have to you can outsource days. it right you know we're not going to do that every day <laughs> if i i think with those things that humans love to learn like it's part, it's inbuilt in our brains we love learning stuff we so often focus our learning on my job and my career etc that sometimes learning when there is no desired outcome when it's just about going through that process And I think you'll find if you go to some of those classes like I did, they're designed for success. So you end up Mm -hmm. with being successful and it makes you feel really, really good. And it reminds you of all the stuff that exists outside of the world of work that you can go and learn Mm -hmm. and do and just kind of really get your mind into.
1: What about the aspect of delayed gratification? All right, There are plenty of studies which have shown the... Uh, the influence or the power that one can have in their life through the act of delayed gratification as well, right? But yeah. earlier on, you mentioned that the joy from short-term things are always the most impactful in terms of how much joy you experience long-term. But uh, but then that's obviously not delayed gratification. And there are some yeah. things where if you stick with it, uh, even if it's hard to do, or you don't do something that you really want to do because it's not good for you to do all the time, like that can... Where where does that fit into your model?
0: So it totally fits in that sometimes what you're looking for is kind of those instant wins, those little like micro moments of kind of joyful stuff. But actually Mm -hmm. there's bigger picture, longer term things around building your joy and having that delayed gratification or that. We don't know where it's going to get to that kind of, when you do an experiment over a longer period of time, you don't know if it's going to be successful or not. But things like when you look at learning again, actually going through the process and i know i've done it when you're kind of doing a professional qualification etc i remember doing a master's where i i had a big job and was doing a master's and i basically had no social life for two years like mm-hmm. it was like i'm just working and going to university <laughs> working and going to university mm-hmm. and that's a, a two-year commitment and i think when you're going into those big commitments if it is a longer term thing for example in the learning space and often people are doing that you know trying to make these things happen to try and get you know a step in a career or to change a career or whatever it is they're trying to do is to remember the reason why you did it the reason why you started it and what it's going to hopefully help you get at the end of it and all of that hard work usually pays off so hard work equals outcome and one thing I always say about work joy is it's not about just finding those micro moments it's about really understanding yourself your values what you want to do your purpose And your purpose doesn't have to be like a big, massive purpose. It could be a smaller purpose that you're just working towards having a good life with your family or whatever it is that works for you. But being able to align those things doesn't happen overnight. Mm. Working on a career, it doesn't happen. And I think work joy isn't something you either have or you haven't. It's something that you really cultivate It's something that you have to pay attention to over a long period of time, because as your life changes, as your work changes, as things more, something you found really joyful a year ago, you may not find joyful anymore. These things Mm -hmm. change. You might love your work and then something changes at work. You no longer have a comrade or your boss is no longer the person they were before. And suddenly you have to realign and reconsider and really work on it. So, creating joy in your life is a cultivation it's an ongoing quest it's not a I've done the work and I'm done thing because you have to keep working with life and kind of all the changing bits of life as well so I think for me it is small things make a difference because they make you remember they make you notice they make you feel good and it makes you kind of want to go on board but you also need to do the kind of inner work of actually understanding myself and what I want and what my values are and what's important to me. The work of then aligning those things and then there's a consistent kind of realigning, realigning, adjusting as life goes on.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I guess if you've got the right people around you, yeah, I mean, there was, sometimes you don't even need those people around you necessarily, like the, in my personal journey, this was probably, I'm trying to remember how many years ago, maybe almost, uh, almost 10 years ago, eight years ago? Yeah, 10 years ago. It seems like a long time now. Um, I, I suddenly found myself at, like I'd been working in corporate for a few years. I've been, I focused a lot of effort towards being successful in career. I kind of, obviously I'd stopped cycling to, to uni or to wherever I was going. I was, uh, but I, my habits and my eating habits and the like hadn't changed all that much. And I found myself just, uh, out of surprise, more than anything else, I saw myself lifting up and carrying one of my nephews who was just young at the time. It's, it's big now. It's almost yeah, it's tall now. But um, <laughs> kind of like throwing him up, and I realized, man, those those board shorts, are like way too short on you. <laughs> Holy moly! Like what is going on? I weighed myself. I'm like 99.8 kilos. Like this isn't what I'm supposed to be. Like I mean, for for those listening, I'm 187 centimeters or six foot one uh or six foot two whatever it is uh and i don't know how many how many stone uh 99.8 kilos is Uh, i couldn't work that of my head (laughs) no fair enough uh but it's a lot either way um and forget and it was in that moment i decided i'm even though it's easier to keep eating crap food and not doing exercise that's not where i want to be long term so i'm gonna cut out the the schnitzel sandwiches and I'm going to shift to salads and or more salads or just fewer carbs in general and the no sugars and there's no need for alcohol either really and at the same time I got to start doing some cardio at the time it was a bit of running and then swimming and then uh, boxing and if anyone wants to try cardio do boxing and I'm not talking about like the boxer size where you go this is fun but like the one where if you drop your hands you're going to get punched in the face. Right, if that's like motivating. A proper, like- <laughs> a, proper, a yeah. proper fight gym. Tra- train with seriously though, like train with people who are training for proper fights. Yeah, like that. Like if you're learning with people who are training for proper fights and you're sparring with them as well, then then you're going to be held to a higher standard. Yeah. and all of those things. I think that over the next year and a half to two years, very sustainably, very gradually, uh, drop down by what twenty two kilos, and transform my body and put on a lot of muscle at the same time and it was just it was very very different right it was a significantly different experience it was gradual and it happened in the right way and yes most of the time i enjoyed the journey i did a whole bunch of different sports throughout it and i tried a whole bunch of different diets throughout it as well and kind of landed on plant-based which i have been for about six six and a half years now and there's like, there are a lot of things that you're able to do. I like what you're saying about creativity. At the end of the day, you've got to do the things that you don't necessarily enjoy doing because you know that's going to get you the results later on because you realize in yourself, like, oh, that's not how I want to be right now. And I'm curious what what your model and your personal experience speaks to this as well in various areas.
0: Yeah, so I think that's the – it's about, like, what's your ultimate goal? What are you trying to get to? And the idea that you don't need to get there immediately, but that you're going to have to sacrifice something that you enjoy right now to get to a goal that you would enjoy even more. So one of the things I talk about in the book when it comes to goals is around actually before you set any goals, do some real work on them. Actually really think about what it is you want, why you want them. Um, where is the passion behind it? What's the reality of your situation? What are the outcomes you're actually looking for? What are the opportunities you have to be able to make that happen? How excited are you about it? Are you determined to make it happen? Because quite often we set goals and there's kind of like the New Year's resolution type goals Mm. we all set, you know, like I'm gonna ride my bike to work every day or I'm gonna do this, or I'm gonna do that, that we haven't actually really thought about. And And then you go, oh, okay, well, that's actually not possible and it's not going to work. And I, I, you know, I've got all these excuses for it. Mm -hmm. And so often it's because we're setting a goal that we don't really 100 percent believe in. We're not really behind it and we're not prepared to make the sacrifices we have to make to make that happen. So with every goal, wherever it is, there's going to be some stuff about it that you like. That you're going to find easy to do there's going to be some stuff about it that you find harder to that you're not going to like and there's going to be some stuff that you're going to have to say no to in order to say yes to the goal or say yes to, to in order to say no to other things so you might have to say no to the sugar as an example mm. to say yeah. yes to the goal that you have And we need to understand how determined we are to make that particular thing happen. So whether it is a health-based goal, whether it is a work-based goal, whether it is a relationship-based goal, there is always going to be kind of some trade-off at some point that goes, do you know what, willpower isn't going to be enough here like willpower. Actually, they've done loads of research. Willpower is not a thing that really helps you. It's about building habits. And I always think what are our helpful habits that are going to help us towards this? How do we build upon them? And there's loads of really cool like psychological hacks you can use to help build habits. So things like habit stacking, which is if you already have a really good habit in place, stack something else onto that habit. So it could be Mm As an example, if you already have a really nice morning routine, stack on, if you're trying to develop your thinking, stack on a podcast on top of your morning routine, you know, it's stacking yeah. it together. So you just do it and you build the habit that way. Um, But it can take, I think it's something like 197 days to build right. a habit. People always say it takes three weeks, apparently that science is being totally yeah. um, disproven, but it can take up to 197 days. So if you really want something to change, you're going to have to do it consistently for six months. Mm. and once you get past the six months you're probably gonna have to like take a big deep breath and go okay we're gonna have to keep going with some of this stuff because it hasn't been perfect and I think we all need to allow ourselves to be imperfect in our goal getting so goal setting first of all make sure it's something you want to do goal getting is about habits it's about building the helpful habits that will help you get there it's about unpicking some of our unhelpful habits so as an example if the You know, if you are more likely in your example, if you're likely more likely to sit and eat a like massive bowl of ice cream, when you're watching telly late at night, you might need to stop watching telly late at night to
1: Mm. do that.
0: Because what's the behavior that links the habit? If you want to try and break a habit, you've got to change the behavior, not the habit. So it's like, Mm. okay, if that's what's doing that, what do I do instead? So do instead, do I go for a walk around the block? Because I'm not going to eat ice cream when I go for a walk around the block, whatever Mm. it is, it's replacing it with something that's a more healthy habit. So healthy habits, unhelpful habits, where are they going to take you to? And then allowing yourself that if you did have a bad day, because we are all human beings and at some point we have all found ourselves sat on the sofa eating some ice cream and doing some stuff that we think, why did I even do that afterwards? I have a great friend, psychologist, who calls it a snack accident, where you suddenly like (laughs) eating so many snacks you don't know what you're doing. But it's Mm -hmm. because you just got into that zone. It's rather than going, oh... I knew I was rubbish. I knew I'd never be able to do it in a really self-defeatist way. You go, I had a bad day and tomorrow I'll be better. Tomorrow I'm going to get back on it. So I think there's something there about habits and behaviors and understanding what drives both of our helpful habits and really working on maximizing them and then really unpicking some of our unhelpful habits. So it could be things like, oh, I really want to focus on my development at work. So if we think about, I want to be able to read five development books this year as an example. But you have no habit around reading, you're going to have to find a time and a place to read. So if you are like, if you work in London, and you're on the tube, is that where you read your book? Do you have it downloaded, ready to go? So it's nice and easy to do it. Do you read it before you go to bed? Do you take 20 minutes of a lunch break and rather than sitting at your desk and having a kind of desk fresco type lunch, you go into a a breakout room somewhere and actually set a timer and read for 20 minutes and you make yourself do it. So I, I think whenever we have these goals, whatever they're about, behaviors, habits and building things in, sometimes it helps getting other people involved. So there will be certain certain goals where it's like, actually, I really need some other people to help me this. Like you might need a say, like you might need a jujitsu coach or a whatever it is that you do to help you do it, or a running coach, because if you're rubbish at running and you're in pain every time you run, you might want to think about, are you doing it right? So sometimes getting other people involved, sometimes when we get other people involved, what we end up doing is we're piggybacking on other people's goals that we're not really interested in, or we're going to use each other as the excuse not to do it. Cause we're going to go, oh, do you mm-hmm. feel like it today? And they're going to go, no. And I'm going to go, "Oh no, I just needed an excuse. And you're my perfect excuse not to do it. Mm-hmm. So yep. be careful about who you choose to go after your goals with.
1: Yeah. Uh, have there been times in your life for you personally, where you've, tried to like there's a reward which you've really won that's a long-term reward and you know it's going to take sacrifice almost every day you know to get there and you still haven't been able to do it and it's still struggle
0: oh yeah oh yeah 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 Yeah. because like i'm a human being we don't always have success Mm -hmm. in every area of our life um mine would probably be like without fail i will always walk the dog so i always get a walk in there's no there's no mm-hmm. reason why I would never, or I wouldn't want the dog because there's a reason for doing it. But I also set myself a goal of kind of doing a, like an indoor bike ride or, you know, some kind of exercise class in the morning. And that does not always happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- so that is one thing I definitely n- not on that. Um, You know, other things that you have to think about kind of the seasons as well of your life and your business. So I always want to do loads of CPG because I'm a massive, massive learner. I love it. It brings me lots of joy. It helps me on business. There's loads of things I want to do. And I've got a list of like five big CPC things I want to do. But last year when I was writing my book, I literally had no brain space to add anything more in. So I had to accept and I hated it, but I had to accept that my definition of success each year of doing however many bits of CPG wasn't happening last year because there was no way it could happen. So now it's like this year's priority. So sometimes we have to move our goals. We have to say not yet. And so, sometimes we, we're going to spend our lives experimenting with some of them and seeing where we get to. So, yes, definitely. There's been lots of things that I, you know, haven't done. I wanted to learn the guitar and I bought a guitar and I haven't learned to play the guitar hasn't happened you know so there are things that we do that we is that just because being
1: at. able to is that just because being able to play the guitar just isn't as important as other goals which you have
0: yes and also then i realized that i you know, i did a degree in music so i i i get music right i can play the piano i can sing i can play the clarinet not very well but i can do it um guitar music is like tablature it's like a totally different form of music and i realized that my ambition and i know i knew this before i started but like my ambition towards it is going to require more effort than i had time and mental space to do it and Mm. i need to find somebody to help me do it because i need like a coach i need a guitar teacher i need somebody to get me started because i'm not good enough to be able to start without them so Mm. there's lots of different reasons but yeah that's another one that's on my list
1: so a mentor of mine who inspires me a lot. Too much. Maybe too much, actually. Uh, we we're just having a chat about the topic of sacrifice not too long ago. Mm. Like only only a week ago or so. And he was uh, he was saying, So let's just say that you decide to run a sub three hour marathon within six months. Yeah. And then you you decide that's what you want to do and you say to yourself, That's my goal, that's what I'm gonna work on. Like that's yeah. the, that's the outcome, which I'm striving yeah. towards because yeah, you yeah. assess how it's going to influence yeah. your life. You know, that's going to take X amount of like an extra three hours of time throughout your week compared to what you're currently doing. And so maybe that means that you're going to have a little bit less time on Netflix or connection with your spouse or whatever, or the kids. But then, <laughs> Hey, as a, and you know, it's going to be, sorry, you're going to be more focused on your, um, on your, on your overall health or your diet and what you're eating. And at the same time, you probably need to pay some money to get someone to be like, to be coaching you with it. And maybe that's going to cost you in terms of what happens in the business. But at the same time, if your health improves, then it's probably going to improve how much energy you have with your kids and uh, how much focus you have at work. And you might have new connections as a result of it. And your physique might be better. Relationship with your spouse could improve from that as well. And like (laughs) all all of that kind of stuff, right? And so it like takes all of these different factors into play. And it's like so let's say you get started and then a month in you realize this is going to be really hard so much harder than what i than what i expected like it's going to be it's going to be 10 times harder than what i expected it was going to be let's just say it's going to it's going to feel like yes the rewards are going to be uh, like the benefits are going to be greater than the than the cost but but when you start but then you realize the utility the net utility you actually receive from it is going to be negative And you're like, oh no, okay. I'm one month. You know what? I'm just going to go and do something else. Well, his approach is doesn't matter if it's ten times harder, twenty times harder, thirty times harder. I've said I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. And he has the results which show for it, right? His exceptional engineer. He runs an incredible business. He has a huge team. He has improved his finances considerably. He's very creative. He's done a lot of things. He's changed his whole body physique from. Uh, powerlifting to running, like like to ultra running, ultra marathon running, and like he's done all of that, and his he's only done all of that because, and this is a weakness for me. So anyone who's listening to this is going, "Wow, Harry's so amazing!" In this is like, no, 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 that's that's not me yet, right? I'm talking about someone else. <laughs> I've, I've got I've got a challenger and conjurer and all all six in in my in my court for that. Is a cheerleader as well, um, but. And so that's still the work in progress, but like from like the reason he's achieved that success in that area of his life or that achievement at least, but also fulfillment, which he gets from it is because he goes, I've said, I'm going to do it. And that word, my word is my bond, including to myself. So my word to myself is my bond. Mm -hmm. And then even if it's 30 times harder than what I expected, I've already given my word. And I value that more than almost anything else. And so he still commits to it. And that's why he gets incredible results. And I've seen that with so many people on this podcast, but yeah. also just other people I've connected with and people who I've spoken to who aren't ready to come on the podcast yet. Like There are just so many people I've seen that happen with. yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I mean, like, Elon Musk could quit everything right now, right? like Elon Musk could in theory quit everything, sell off all his shares whatever discreetly so that people don't so it doesn't crash the share price until the after it's out. Um, and he could he could exit it all and be like, yeah, cool, I've done I've done my thing, I'm done. But he's made such a big commitment to changing the world that he's like, no, I'm just going to keep going all in. I'm going to leave nothing nothing on the nothing on the table. It's all in. Yeah. It's it's all gone.
0: It's so interesting and I I probably feel like both attached and unattached to that perspective. So in some ways, like I'm a very determined person. And if I want to make something happen, I will make it happen. Like I've always been like that. Um, And on the other side of it, I think we all have to have a understanding of what the cost is of that determination. And this is the third perspective is Where does that cost fit in with the values and who you want to be? So if it's, if it is 50 times harder than you thought it was going to be, and you think you can do it and you can make it happen. Brilliant. If one of your values is about time with your family, and that means 50% less time with your family, is the sacrifice of the time with your family in line with your values and who you want to be? Hmm. So for me, it's not, it's not a binary. I'm going to do it because I said, I'm going to do it. It's a more potentially a slightly more thoughtful and a slightly more, um, considerate way of thinking because equally Elon Musk could go and do that. And he's obviously achieved a lot, but he's also in what he's done in his Mm -hmm. life, not necessarily done it with the values that other people would expect him to have or the values that other people think are important. So I'm I'm not going to, I'm not going to comment on whether what he does is good or bad, but Mm. there are, there is always a cost of something that's harder or more difficult or more time consuming. And it's whether you're prepared to accept that cost and whether that cost is still okay with your values and where you want to be. So Mm. sometimes the right thing is to quit, And sometimes the right thing is to keep going, whatever. And only you as an individual can define that based on what your determination of success is and what your determination of your own values and what's important to you is. Because going at something because you said it's going to be a goal that you want to achieve and going full pelt at it. Brilliant. Might achieve you the outcome you were looking for. But what casualties lie in the wake of that determination?
1: sure and then i guess to try and balance that with what casualties lie in the wake of deciding to quit as well exactly so and so in that like in that context then saying well how does someone make that choice like when quitting is pretty easy and you can justify it you can justify it easily right it's like well i thought it was going to take me an extra three hours a week it's actually going to be six hours a week and i thought that was going to feel really great after every run i'm actually not going to feel that great after every run So I think I'm going to pull right back from it. Like, you know, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't commit to it. Um, uh, Like maybe, you know, maybe it it was, I was just wrong with doing that. So I'll just quit and quit, 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 quit and quit, which is probably how most people live their lives, right?
0: Yeah. So I think the difference here is about stopping thinking that everything is binary. So it's either joy or gloom or it's quitting or keeping going. What Mm. about if we adjust our sales? Okay. So what about if rather than saying I'm going to run every day, we say, do you know what? I'm currently at, I was at zero. I tried to do seven days a week. Seven days a week is sacrificing a lot of time with my family and things that are important to me and relationships, et cetera. What if I did it four times a week? Because four times a week is still better than zero times a week, which is what I was doing before. And we tend to kind of go to the extreme. So we go, I'm either doing all of it or doing none of it. What about if we did some of it? And would some mm. of it still get us there? It might take us twice as long. So it might say, do you know, if I run four times a week, as an example, it's going to take me two years to get to an ultra marathon, mm. Right. It's going to take me that long rather than a year. But I'm still going to get there and I'm not going to completely sacrifice all the other things that are important to me while I'm doing it. So sometimes we need to adjust what the goal is. Sometimes we need to adjust what the habit is. Sometimes we need to adjust what the outcome is but I think rather than kind of going all or nothing we need to think about what's the excuse what's the genuine reason what's really important how do we do this and adjust so rather than all in or all out we find the middle ground of some of these things and yes we might not get there as quickly we might not seem as determined we might have to kind of put off our marathon place we might have to decide that we're not going to get that postgraduate qualification until two years time rather than one year's time but what we're doing by doing that is allowing ourselves the space in our lives to do most of the things we want to do rather than one kind of single focus because lives aren't made up of single focus things. You know, mm-hmm. life, kids, hobbies, uh, work, things you've got to do, family. There's so many different aspects of life that we can't we can't just go, always go full force into one of them. We have to kind of really consider so but what about if we adjust what about if we think what's the adjustment i could make versus the quitting
1: mm. yeah i hear I, I hear what you're saying right the, and what what comes straight to mind is uh someone named nick bear his amazing influencer his um he's a power lifter and a and a long distance runner um his runner run a very fast marathon i think uh sub three hours uh, but he's also got the physique, unlike any other marathon runner of that speed, and he does it specifically to prove that that's possible. But he's like, you know, ex-US military and like that mm-hmm. that kind of character. And he shared when it comes to exercise, and I think this applies to almost all areas in our lives. Uh, we're always we're either always going, we're either always working uh, too hard, and sorry, we're either working, we're almost always going too hard and not hard enough. At the Mm -hmm. same time, like we're always in a realm where we're, we're putting in more effort than what we, than what we, than what we need to, to get sustainable results long-term, but we're never putting in enough effort to, or like put training hard enough to be able to get the exceptional results that we really want to strive towards. And he, he, Puts that into his training, right? Eighty mm-hmm. percent of his of his workouts are very light runs. He keeps his heart rate at, and like in the Maffetone rest method, less than one eighty minus your age. So if you're if you're forty, then that's you know you'd keep your heart rate under one forty for all of your exercise. So while yeah. going for a run or whatever it is, you keep your or ballet, keep your heart rate under one forty for eighty percent of your exercise. The other twenty percent, he goes hard, like he's sprinting up hills, is doing whatever. And most people don't have the patience to do the groundwork, yeah, and, which is the majority of it. And they also they don't have the determination or the grit to do the to put in the really hard effort. And so they tend to be in this middle ground and they do none of it. It's like I have the choice of committing to running properly or doing jujitsu. And if I want to run properly and build speed while running slow, I've got to be able to do that 80% of the time. Yeah. If I want to do jujitsu, I'll probably want to do it two, three, four, five, seven times a week. And then I can end up doing both of them and neither neither of them doing well. And yeah. so it's a really it's a really interesting conundrum because I believe that this would apply almost everywhere, right? Oh um, yeah,
0: for sure. And it, it often it's about you know understanding what those factors are but also understanding what it, what good looks like because so often i see people who if we take it from a work perspective or who are trying to develop they've put so much energy into their cpd into their learning into their development they've done every bit of learning going but they've spent no time applying that learning mm-hmm. so You know, it's that they've done too much in one part of it and not enough in another. You know, Mm. it totally applies there. And what they then find is they've got all this stuff in their head, but they don't know how to apply it. Therefore, it hasn't become development. It's just become, you know, some training that they did. It's not actually really Mm. developed them anywhere. So it's about understanding what those factors are and like pulling them together and knowing knowing where you're likely to go too hard and where you're likely to go too soft and kind of trying to soften the hard and harden the (laughs) softs. That's a really weird mm-hmm. way of saying it. But like to maybe it's bring strange those things it, yeah. It's a really strange way to put it, But like, that's what came out of my mind without any further. <laughs> um, trying to maybe find some of that. Actually, if I'm going to do this bit of development, I also need to do the, how do I implement it at work thing? If I'm going to do this run, I need to keep it here. Otherwise it's going to be not helpful. If I'm going to do this, I need to do more of that thing to be able to do it. And I, it's a really interesting one when we think about like success, isn't it? And where we want to get to is... A lot of people, in fact, I think, you know, as you say, like most people don't necessarily want to be an ultra runner. They might just want to be able to run for their own fitness and for their own enjoyment. So it's about what does success really look like for you? Is it doing an ultra marathon? Is it doing a marathon in under three hours or is it just completing a marathon? Would that be good enough for Mm -hmm. you? So there's some things around understanding what that looks like and not getting overwhelmed by the inspiration of other people and what they do, but in what you want
1: but mm. well, then what about the person people. who then what about the person who might be listening to this and they're thinking well I mean that this goal is good enough in this area and this goal is good enough in that area and this goal is good enough in this area and this area it's good enough, and is good enough and that goal there is good enough and that goal there is good enough and then you know it's a good enough life um like it kind of sets up towards uh, living a good enough AK average life. I mean, most people would be listening to this podcast, at least from those who I know who listen to it. It's, it's because they actually want to strive for more. Yeah, uh, They've got, they've got an achiever blend in them, but either they've been spinning their wheels too hard and they've just been getting frustrated and burnt out, or they've been spinning really hard, getting great results, but then they see that suffering in another area uh, or they want to be more successful and they yeah. don't know how.
0: So, I think the key here is to know which of your goals it's okay to be good enough at, and which of the bits of your life is good enough is good. Like, where's that? And then to save yourself getting burnt out, like, what are the, what are the, what is the one thing or the, the two things where you want to be exceptional? and how would you define exceptional and what are the steps you need to get to exceptional, to get to kind of beyond average. And it's interesting because I think beyond average lives are actually made up of the people, people who have those lives are made up of people who are determined in one particular area. They're not Mm. necessarily trying to do everything because you're right, you get burnt out if you try and do everything at that level. So it's understanding which thing you want to do at an exceptional level and really investing in the time and the energy and the effort and the experimentation and all that kind of stuff into the, what's that one thing I want to be exceptional at? And then when you're exceptional at that, you can build another thing. And then over the period of your life, you end up with a lot of things you're exceptional at, but you're not trying to be exceptional at everything all in one go, Mm. because that is like, you know, when you get then into kind of perfectionism tendencies, you get into burnout, you get into never feeling like anything is good enough because you're trying to do everything all at once. So I think it's about it's about this build. And you know, like the Olympic teams talk about like what's the one percent, what's gonna make this one percent thick better, what's gonna make mm. the boat go one percent faster, what's gonna do this? And they look at the little activities that make you build up over time. And I think mm. this is the this is definitely the long win stuff is not the short-term gratification it's the what do I do now that makes me every day one percent better and then after a year and after 10 years and after 20 years I've built on that and I've built all these different bits of my life to Mm -hmm. be able to do that but I don't believe it's very healthy to try and be exceptional at everything in your life all in one go Mm -hmm.
1: yeah I'll agree with that so pick something Pick something or pick a couple of things or a few yeah. things but don't but don't pick nothing.
0: Don't pick nothing. No. And, and like if, don't pick nothing because you're just gonna kinda coast, right? You'll coast and things will be good and you're like good enough it depends on whether you go oh it's good enough or it's oh it's good enough it's like there, there's definitions of good enough like good enough that makes me feel good or good enough that makes me feel like oh i didn't quite achieve it there well when you're there. when you're
1: coaching people especially yeah. in a leadership capacity or just in people who are wanting to find more joy in their in their work in their life and you're you're coaching them and where do you draw the line between something being like a valid reason versus just another justification
0: Yeah. So I always ask people, okay, when you're telling me that, what percentage of that is excuse and what percentage of that is genuine reason, like a genuine actual reason why you can't get it done or why you haven't done the thing that you said you were going to do. So there's the accountability factor in it. And most people, when you ask that question, are usually really good at knowing what their own excuses are. And then it's like working through what those excuses. So if you if you want to coach yourself, ask yourself the question if you're not getting somewhere, which percent what percentage of this is excuse and what percentage is genuine reason. Genuine reason, there is usually a logical path to get over the genuine reason. There's usually kind of some kind of sensible thing. It's like, okay, well, if I need to do that, I need to invest another two hours a week. Where am I gonna find that time from? How am I gonna engage my squad to help me do it? You know, There'll be all the things. For the excuses, you've gotta work on your mindset and you've gotta go, okay, so are these excuses, why am I allowing these excuses to hold me back from where I wanna get to? Sometimes it's fear of failure. More often than not, and people are kind of really aiming for kind of success beyond the kind of average. It's actually quite often a fear of success and a fear of what mm-hmm. will happen if you are successful. And I think that fear of success holds us back way more than fear of failure when we're at that mm-hmm. level, when you're kind of at the beyond average, exceptional level. People think about what will people think of me? Will people think I'm too big for my boots? Will people think I'm being really cocky if I achieve this? What will happen to all the people around me? You know, there's so many different factors and so many reasons why we're taught through life to keep ourselves small and in the same place as everyone else, that being average is good. And we need to really, and often I spend my time working through those reasons with people as a coach, like, okay, but you know is that is that true what we think about success or actually is that what you really want how do we work towards what we want rather than keeping ourselves small and in line allowing ourselves and I think I think we did two didn't we of the you know parts of the journey you know that have led to your success the pivotal moments and I think one thing that for me has always really helped me is that level of self-belief And some people call it confidence, but I'm not sure confidence. I think confidence is a very outward facing thing. I think that inner belief in yourself and your purpose and in what you want and knowing and believing that you deserve it. Like you deserve the success because you put the hard yards in, because you sacrificed, because you made it happen. You don't need all of those reasons, but knowing and having that self-belief that you are capable, able worthy deserving you know all of those different things and that for me if you can work on your self-belief will help you towards any goal you have any situation any habit you want to build because if you haven't got that self-belief if there's doubt if there's um a sense of not worthiness of your success it will always limit you
1: right Uh, at first those. I was interpreting when you said excuses versus reasons, I had excuses in my mind as emotions from the way you're describing it, and reasons as logic. But it sounds like what you just said there is that excuses is actually doubt um, in yourself, or in I your think own excuses capacity can
0: be both. So excuses can be mm-hmm. kind of like the emotional factors, but it can also be doubts, it could also be other people. So it's really interesting of like, I think what some people, if you think about it, people in business, they'd say to you, oh, Harry, I always knew you were going to be a success. But they'd also be the person that said, oh, I'm not sure Harry should really quit his corporate job. I'm not sure that's a very good idea. Shouldn't he be staying and doing that corporate stuff and kind of be in that world? Because that's where he's going to. be?" So if we listen to our doubters. Often that can limit us as well. And there will always be people who like doubt what you're doing and the decisions you're making. And that's where I think you need the self-belief because I think the self-belief then goes, it doesn't matter whether other people doubt me. I don't, I know I can do this. And it's a bit like the, I totally forgot the person's name you were talking about, who says, I am making this commitment to myself. I'm going to do it. They have the self-belief that they will make that happen. Whether it's tough, whether it's hard. So I think self-belief is a massive driver of our success. Whatever, situation, yeah, that was, whatever. That was that
1: was Martin. I don't think I mentioned his name. That was Martin Buden. Episode four. Mm. Uh, very good. Cool I think that's literally <laughs> the only video that's available of him online, which is really cool. um, amazing. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So I mean, I, I still want to talk about uh, the point which you raised earlier with regards to bringing your whole authentic full self to work with a professional filter. Yeah. And then I'm mindful that you've also spoken a lot about boundaries Mm. in the past as well. So do you want to do you want to talk a little bit towards boundaries, what type of boundaries there are, and how how that applies to how people are able to apply that professional filter? Or is there more? Sorry, maybe I should ask first, is there (laughs) more to applying this professional filter than just the boundaries that you choose? Um,
0: I think they're very, very much related. So I'll talk Mm. about them in kind of together. So there's a lot of noise in organisations about this kind of term, bring your whole self to work. I'm sure you've probably heard it before, which is really well intended. And it's about allowing kind of diversity of thinking, style, thought, all, all of the kind of stuff that we want to have in workplaces. The term makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because actually when I'm at work, there's bits of my personality that aren't really the bits that I would want. I always do kind of describe it as, you know, I quite like a good swear every now and again, but that probably wouldn't be very professional in a working environment. So I kind of filter that bit out. I quite like to um be a bit fun and be a bit jokey and, you know, if there's a dance floor, I'll be the first person on it, all of that kind of stuff. That's not really the my work based personality we probably all have things like this that are um you know things we don't necessarily want to bring to work so there's some boundaries for me about what do we bring to work and what what do we not bring to work and some people can bring you know and there is there there is some evidence that says you know the more of yourself that you can bring to work and be human and all that kind of stuff the better it is for everybody but I think that professional filter is really important but I think the boundaries come in for me in many many different ways so there's boundaries around how we spend our time and what we're going to invest our time in. We all have effectively the same amount of hours in a day. We can't, we can't mold time, but some people have more responsibilities than others. So Some people have more free time than other people. I mean, you've got kids, right? When you've got kids, Mm -hmm. the free time you have reduces massively (laughs) because you're trying to yeah, like if if you're, you're a committed parent right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean like if yeah. you're one they're just like that yeah, i know someone else can mm-hmm. deal with that carry on yeah but it does it reduces so our time over life and the free time we have and the available time for ourselves etc moves around and when we think about boundaries we need to think about where am i investing my time and what am i investing my time in and does that align with my goals my it's like all about this alignment stuff is it align with my goals and my values and who i want to be and who where i want to put myself in the world and so often what we do is we have a boundary in our mind, but we don't tell anyone about it. And then we get really annoyed when people break our boundaries, but nobody knew they were there in the first place. So it's something about being open about what our boundaries are and why they're there. But then there's also something around us holding ourselves accountable for our boundaries. So if we want a boundary around how much, you know, time we spend watching the telly, but then every night we're like, three hours of watching telly and it's been unproductive time we haven't been really good at kind of setting and maintaining that boundary for ourselves so time is one I think um you know people is another who are you investing in and so often we're investing in people who are maybe not in our squad We're investing time in people who maybe don't bring us that sense of joy. We're doing it because we think we should. And I always think if we're ever saying, I think I should do that, we need to consult our boundaries and kind of go, is this something that we really want to do? Is it something I could do? Is it something I'm choosing to do? rather than kind of being there and going, oh, I'm doing this because I think I should and then I'm going to moan about doing it and I'm going to do it without my full effort and my full energy and I'm going to be a bit grumpy about it. It's like, well, why are you doing it in the first place? You know, not actually do And so to all do of everything. this
1: is about your professional self. So, When you're choosing to bring your professional self, you're looking at these factors.
0: Well, I think actually beyond that, so that would be the filter stuff would be your professional self. But actually, if you mm-hmm. think about boundaries, I think boundaries fit in our entire lives. There's some things that we need. Boundaries between what conversations you're happy to have and not happy to have at work Not would be a boundary about a filter, but a boundary about, you know, whether you're going to go and go to somebody's, you know, kid's third birthday or spend the time on your goal or your development is a choice you're going to have to make and a boundary you're going to have to set based on what's important to you, not what's always important to the other person. So we need to think about where are we investing our time because we cannot do everything that we want to do. Having said that, there's also some really interesting research is that we apparently overestimate the time we think it takes to do something joyful. Mm. So we can actually find small bits of time. So that That's a totally side. I've, I've gone off on a sideline now, but that is a a really interesting thing is we think it takes loads of time and it doesn't, you can get some joyful things in five minutes. Like a, you know, if you know that instant, you know, instant gratification stuff, put your favorite tune on in in the background, Mm. that'll give you a moment of joy. But the boundary stuff, I think is a, if you want, especially if you're a person who is working towards a goal and you want to be successful, the I, You know, from the successful people that I've spoken to, I'm sure you have, they are usually the people who have really good boundaries around what they're going to do and what they're not going to do, what they're going to say yes to, what they're going to say no to. Because we have to remember every time we say no to something, we allow something to be a yes because we save our time and invest in something else. They're not people who are being dragged in a hundred different directions because of the whims of everybody else around them. They're making decisions and choices about where they want to invest their time and their energy and their you know, expertise, they're making those choices. And I honestly think that boundaries are one of the things that can turn you from being really gloomy to being really joyful, because you're doing the stuff that makes a difference to you, and not yeah. dragged in a million different directions.
1: Yeah, I mean, to, to add to that, I think that the, the pattern which I'm seeing is it's not that they necessarily choose what they say no to, it's that they choose what is required in order for them to say yes to it. Yes. So, so they'll say one mentor who I haven't gone on the podcast. Yes. Maybe I should get her on. It's amazing actually. But, uh, she, she explained to me once that she never says no, she'll never say no. She'll say yes. If, yeah. And then she's forced to work out, well, what's that? If yes. yes. If so if someone came and said, Give me your entire engineering company. Like, I, I want to get. I want you to give me fifty percent of the equity of your yeah. engineering company without me paying a dime. She'll say she won't say no. As tempting as it might be, to say get the hell out of my office, get get out of here, it'll be yes if you bring x amount of money of revenue to the business and don't get paid for it. Like, right. yeah, yeah, great. Then you can have fifty percent. Like, if you over the next two years you bring ten million dollars worth of revenue into the business, then yeah, you can have fifty percent of the equity great. I'd love to give it to you. Um, and so if we come from that frame, Vin Jang is the examples. Yes. If Martin Budin, a lot of his stuff is off a whim. Yes. If, mm-hmm. uh, and these are people who choose to say yes, a lot more. I, I find that I find that most people tend to try and say no to a lot of things. Or at least they say no to the joy of the thing or the no to fully committing themselves to it, right? Yes. Okay. They'll often say no to full commitment, yeah. but they'll say... Or they'll go
0: like, oh, I'll try and be there. If I can, I'll yeah. make it. I'll yeah. see what I'm up to. Which is even worse, right? Which is like, oh, it's just so non-committal to anything. And yeah. it's like, just to be good at... I, I. It's interesting when you talk about you know the yes if. I've got a, a great friend who's also a coach. And one of her things is, if it's not a 7 out of 10 minimum for me, I'm not going. So it has to be mm-hmm. like a 10 is like the best thing ever. It has to be a seven out of 10 or I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And she yeah, does that in I life like that. and works. Like ha- and it, you know, how she determines her seven out of 10 is up to her. But actually, if you think about it, if you're doing a two out of 10 thing when you could be doing an eight out of 10 thing, why are you doing the two out of 10 thing?
1: Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't recognize that or don't have the belief in themselves or the, the enough of abundance mindset yeah. that there are lots of things that they're able to be doing. Yes. And so I, I think that there, like there's a lot of talk about people needing to learn to say no and all that kind of stuff. Well, great, but you got to learn to say you, to to let's say yes intentionally, as opposed to by default for saying yes to too many yeah. things.
0: And I love the idea of the yes if. So these are the criteria that make it a yes. And actually, mm. if those aren't there, it's a no.
1: Yeah. I mean, for anyone who's listening who has kids, I've been trying this with my three-year-old, and she'll ask something which is just ridiculous. It's like, well, I don't want to say no. As many times as I can, I don't want to say no. Can't do that. <laughs> so yes, if. Oh, crap. I would need to be the if. Because then you've actually got to think about it. How yeah, can what you is the if? give it to them while maintaining the values of what you actually believe in? Mm. And so, therefore, you're not you're not authoritarian, but you become much more authoritative while you're empowering yeah. them. And I'm like, a, if you
0: go for a yes, and it, you've you've gone through all the ifs, and you've made a decision to be yes, then be fully in it. Like, mm. be there, be fully enjoying it. Don't be looking at your watch. Don't be trying to do something else. Don't be changing your mind at the last minute, dropping out. Go. I've I've done a yes, and I'm going to go and make it as the best of whatever this yes is.
1: Mm. And what about the types of boundaries? I think I saw. I think I saw one of your documents or graphics or something where you're referring to bouncy boundaries yeah and that that was a cool concept do you you want to describe those those types of boundaries as well
0: so i think it's really important for us all to have boundaries obviously and i think there are some boundaries that we have that need to be quite firmly set so we need to have some strongly held boundaries that are the ones that keep us in a good zone that make us feel great that keep us healthy, that keep us whatever it is we need to have that kind of sense of well-being and control over our lives. We definitely need some of those more structured boundaries. But I actually think a lot of our boundaries are going to be more flexible. And I call them bouncy boundaries because there will be certain people in your life that you will say yes to whatever they ask for, right? There's going to be some people, maybe the people in your Mm -hmm. squad, maybe the people in your family that you would literally drop everything for and go and make it happen. Even though... Mm -hmm. 110 other people could ask you and you would say no to it. It's yes. because of the people. There's going to be some situations where you're going to say yes to stuff where you would like to say no to it because situationally it's the right thing to do. It's, it's nuanced. There's not always a, a black and white, obvious. I say yes to this. I say no to this. it's a, it is the yes if factor actually. That's what the boundaries, bouncy bouncy boundary like. Yes, if it's this person. Yes, if it's this. Put, situation. put your put your
1: lips on mine. Yes, yes if you. If, the yes. only way that you could be resuscitated is through CPR. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. the if. yes. Yes, yeah, if it. you're my husband. You know, there's that kind of <laughs> <laughs> that kind of
1: stuff that
0: happens like a yes if it is my boss asking for it because if i don't do it that's a career limiting move (laughs) but nobody else is gonna get it you know not if not on the lips on you kind of thing i'm thinking about um, an an extra project or something you're gonna probably say yes to it because it's gonna be good for your career even if maybe you're like oh i don't really want anything else Hmm. so there is the bouncy boundaries allow you to be more nuanced to be more situational to be more people focused to allow yourself the joy of being able to say no to one person and yes to a different person Mm -hmm. because the person that you that you want to say yes to is somebody who's really important to you and the person you want to say no to is like it might be exactly the same thing they're asking for but you're a yes and you're a no it allows you that flexibility and that's why they're bouncy they kind of like they're there and you know what those boundaries are but there will be people and situations that you move them for
1: i guess the the important part is that you know that they're there
0: yes Yes. And you know why, you know know why you're not using the boundary you would usually have because of, because you're thinking it through. And so often I think when people ask us things and they ask us for what we need or to go to things, we think we have to give people an answer immediately. We think it's like, Mm. I have to say yes or no. And then we're more likely to either say, you know, that neutral, oh, well, I'll think about it or to say Mm. no or to say yes and regret it is I think we need better ways. And one of the things I just recommend for everybody is to say things like, if you want to ask me, Harry, to do X, Y, Z, I might say, Harry, that's such an honour to be asked. Can I get back to you tomorrow when I've had a look at whether I can fit that into my schedule? And Mm -hmm. it gives me the time to go away and think about, "Mm, is this the right thing for me to do? Am I making the choice for the right reasons? Do I really want to step into this? Have I got the energy for it? And to make better decisions because we've pressed pause for a moment and we've gone okay what's my real answer to this and we've given ourselves time to think through it we do not have to give an answer immediately
1: yeah i mean it also then just depends on the ultimate goal like you yeah i believe that there's space to be able to make a commitment with the full intention to fulfill it and then and then or like it's not a full commit like you make you start the process which would ordinarily result in a particular outcome. Like I've had I've had a, a handful of interviews on the podcast which have not resulted in being aired and they won't be aired uh, just because I don't believe that they're going to be in service of the people who are subscribing. I yeah. don't believe that they're going to be in service. And I, rightfully so, those people, uh, when I've told them, Told them as opposed to ghosting them and just never releasing yeah, it. Like right. Actually actually go to them. Actually go to them and tell them. Because they've invested time, they've expressed a the level of vulnerability, they've mm. exposed themselves a little bit. they obviously I asked them some pretty deep questions or challenging questions. Um, and like it gets personal. And so like people have invested a fair amount into it and then they get excited by the conversation. Most people yeah. afterwards like, wow, that was an awesome conversation. I loved it. Like that was really cool. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. All that kind of stuff. And so they've done all of that and they, and then I'm saying, sorry, I'm well, I'm not going to release it because of these reasons. And I know that that could upset, you know, I'm sure it did upset them. Um, But there was, it was the valid, like the primary reason is I want to make sure that whatever I'm sharing is going to be of high value to the people who are listening. or oh, good enough value, right? For the yeah, people yeah, who yeah. are listening. And, and for me, I probably set that sounds like eight, eight and a half, right? Out of 10, that that's where the good enough standard sits. And so, I mean, like there, are, I think there are times where you're able to say no to someone, even after you've said yes. I personally find that easier to do than most people, and in many ways, I wish I wish I didn't find that so like so relatively easy. Because I mean, like like even just staying true to my word to myself, right? Yeah, like, to yeah. be able to commit to something and then actually follow it through. But there are times, I guess, when you got to be able to change it. But yeah, I mean, I guess the the boundary needs to be. Bouncy for yourself if you know the core reasons why and if you know what it's going to cost.
0: And I I think, you know, the staying true to yourself, knowing what you want to do, knowing who you're in service of, knowing what your values are. It all comes back to the same thing, doesn't it? Where Mm -hmm. does this align to what you want to do on your podcast? And if it's not aligned to that, then even when people have invested their time and effort and energy into it, you might need to say, do you know what? It's not the right thing. This isn't the right audience for this conversation. And, you know, thanks very much for having it, but it's not the right thing to do. So I do Mm -hmm. think there is something there around knowing what those boundaries are in all these situations and being able to say afterwards, actually, you know, or or even the other way around, if you said no to someone, then you might go back to them and say, do you know what? I really wish I'd said yes to that because Mm -hmm. I, I regret actually not, saying yes to that thing Mm -hmm. and being able to have that open conversation but what we don't do is often have those open conversations because they feel hard and icky and a bit sticky and it feels like Mm -hmm. you're going to upset people and nobody really wants to upset people etc but actually it's usually better as a general rule in life to be honest about stuff yeah and like it's way better to be honest about stuff than it's ghosting people yes always always
1: always with your with your magic. there was a episode with one of my mentors she's she's one of my coaching mentors actually mm. uh helped me become a coach it influenced the way like my style of coaching considerably from tony robbins-esque to a little bit a little bit more uh helpful i'd say well i mean yeah like as in <laughs> as in more more accessible right like more yes. whatever um and yeah she shares a fair amount about this Uh just with regards to uh, her name, is Sarit Mandegraf, And she talks about just have open and honest conversations. It works better for you in the long run. Like it's yeah. going to cost you if you don't, and it's going to be better for you in the long run if you do. And yeah. almost all of her opportunities have come as a result of her just expressing exactly the way that she's feeling and approaching her, her boss at the time or her colleague or her business partner saying, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what i go work on now
0: yeah being true to who you are right and kind of saying this is what i think this is what i want to do this is where the boundaries are. i've got you I mean it's really interesting i've got a great friend who is the best at just really openly saying no i don't want to do that so whereas other mm-hmm. people are like, oh i don't know if i can fit it in or i need to check this or i need to do she just goes no thanks it's not my cup of tea mm-hmm. <laughs> and just yeah. says it out loud and like the utmost respect for that open dialogue and just Knowing who you are and sticking to who you are and being okay with that probably comes right back Mm -hmm. around to the beginning of the conversation, doesn't it? It's like being who you are and knowing who you are will help you be successful.
1: Yeah. Well, especially if you're defining success in terms of how much joy you're having, because it's not joyful to live in authentically. No, it really isn't.
0: The more we have to adapt ourselves, the less joyful it becomes. So actually Mm -hmm. being ourselves is a joyful thing. And you know, many people may define success differently and surely that's like the whole point of your podcast like oh how do different people do this and you know I always think that even if you don't necessarily define it in the way I do because like my purpose is bringing more joy into the working world like that's that's what I'm here to do in my business and in my work is could you do what you're doing in wherever success is using joy as one of the factors that helps you get there so it doesn't have to be the only thing but it could be one of the things that makes it better for you
1: yeah yeah so given that your definition of success is have a lot of joy right yeah more joy than not joy and if you're kind of like at around that 80 percent mark at the moment Mm. what's lacking in your life where's the I know you, you said you'll never get a hundred percent and maybe it's the, the pursuit towards a hundred percent is more important than the actual achieving a hundred percent. Yeah. But What's, what's lacking?
0: Oh, such a good question. I think if I were to look back over the past few years, I've lacked kind of real human contact and as okay. many people did over, COVID. over COVID. I, um, re- I, I'm a, I'm a proper like, like to be around human beings person um and you know i want to do more of that so my plan for this year is to do more being in person with other people but being fussy about who those people are and spending the time with the people who really matter is a, an important thing to me um i did a big thing that helped me increase my joy massively so i probably went from about a 60 to an 80 about 3 years ago i moved out of the city and into the countryside and okay. I am a kind of like I'm an outdoor fresh air person if I'm Mm -hmm. if I'm outdoors in the fresh air I don't really care what the weather is I'm just loving every minute of it and being we were in London in a top floor flat with no outdoor space it was like I I didn't realize actually how how much of an impact that had until we moved out into the countryside and now obviously it massively upped my levels of joy by getting a dog now not everyone is getting a dog is going to be the joyful thing but for me it's like the perfect thing because it outside doing fun things with the dog Um, I think what's next for me is also, I haven't done so much of my kind of development work, as I said, over the last year, because I've been writing a book. So for me, it's around really reinvesting in that side of my life. And I think that will take me up another because every time I learn something new, I'm like, Oh, I love this. I want to kind of really upgrade my coaching practice. There's some things I want to do to really help make that happen. And I think that would be something that would really make a difference to me. And I want to um, do more non-work things. Mm-hmm. So if I'm kind of going to get to 90%, I want to invest in my non-worky things and in stuff that I really enjoy. So the ballet was kind of my first step towards that this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep building on the the personal stuff that I really, really want to do. And the, the the final one, I haven't worked out how I'm going to do this yet because I was having a conversation with someone about it the other day. So this is a very like early, haven't really worked out the stuff is i want to get really strong okay physically strong Mm. so i want to i I don't know how to do it yet haven't worked it out um haven't worked out a plan but we were having a conversation i was like this year my that's going to be one of my kind of words around physical health is going to be strong Mm. and i was talking with someone who kind of lifts weights and was like right okay how do we do this but i haven't worked out the plan yet so that is still early on in my thinking but there's some of the things that I'm going to be doing over the next year or so to kind of up my game when it comes to my joy i would love to get to like 85-ish percent i think that would mm-hmm. be a, a really good place to be and then keep building and keep building and keep building but i'm i am not aiming for 100 because real life will get in the way and there's you're not going to be always there but when i can that's where I want to be I want to be like kind of the 85 maybe even get to 90 percent if
1: i can why why stop there why not get to 95 like why not well, yeah even if you accept even if you accept 100 is never going to be achievable why not go to 99.99999999 <laughs>
0: i mean i am in it for the long game as well like i am in this cultivating. Yeah. you do not have to do it all in one go so like this mm-hmm. year if we could get to 85 next year 90 we'll see where we get mm-hmm. to um in real life but I I think so often we hand over our power to other people, especially in the working environment, we kind of hand over all of our agency and kind of go, oh, it's my boss's job to make me happy or my organisations. But actually, you can do this. And I have worked with people who have gone from finding work that Sunday night anxiety, really not wanting to do it. To finding loads and loads of joy in their work. And actually, by finding joy in their work, they found more joy in their life as well. And it's all really been complementary and kind of spread across their whole life. So it's totally possible. If you're at 20% at the moment, you could get to probably 30 or 40% by the end of the year. If you're at 50, you could probably get to, you know, you, you've got, you could get 20% in a year up, hmm. definitely, for sure
1: aside aside from not seeing people in real contact and living in the wrong space um what have been like the really emotional challenging areas in your life like even if you look over the last 20 years that have severely restricted your joy
0: oh that's such a good question um what has severely restricted my joy i think times of big change have always mm-hmm. been challenging so things like um quite early on in my career actually uh, my job was made redundant and i had to look at like what do i do here where do I how do i change it what do i and so often it's like periods of change in in work that really make us feel n- not to have that self belief to feel like we don't know what we're doing to feel like we're not wanted we don't belong etc so i think that they're probably big moments um i think it, a big scary things like you know love and life and outside of work and how do all these things happen and stepping into I like, got married how many years ago was it 12 and a half years ago but that you know working through relationships and finding people and going from like being alone to being with somebody else and I think that's a really interesting totally but the interesting point is balancing the joy between you and your partner if you have a partner Mm -hmm. and how do you allow each other to have the joy that you have and we're me and my husband very different like I'm completely extroverted very much a people person he's very introverted very logical very kind of thought and sometimes like our worlds like clash and it's like ah Mm -hmm. because what brings me joy and what brings him joy is really different so actually Mm -hmm. sometimes we have like a icky sticky like Ugh, this isn't going to work for me and this is not but I'm doing it because it brings you joy and by seeing you being joyful I can find so there's some icky bits that you have to work through but understanding each other and knowing that there's some sacrifices and some you know you get to balance some of those things out I think has been really interesting um I've totally got what well, I've totally forgotten what your question was now and I've gone <laughs> down a like totally different night it was like an emotional the, moments the, the,
1: the hardest most emotional times for you what's been really hard for you that you even even if you imagine that you go back to that place as yourself now and you Mm. can go back there and give your younger self that advice and it was a really tough time if if you're happy to to share the experience that you went through and how it was really feeling and what advice you'd give yourself as well
0: yeah it's such a good one i'm i'm going to go way back i think for a little bit if it's all right and go yeah. kind of back to like school days and thinking about like what was happening at school um when i was about 16 17 i was i was wasn't very well and i was struggling with um they called it me then i think they call it chronic fatigue syndrome mm-hmm. or something now i kept getting ill kept getting ill kept getting ill and it meant that i um was off school quite a lot, and I went to a kind of a, a really good school, which produced a lot of very successful people. And it was very much based on what your grades are—you going to be good enough, etc. And the reason I go back there is because it really brought out a lot of feelings of not being good enough and not being able to be in control of what was going on, and feeling like I was failing a lot of the time. And I'm not I'm not particularly good with failure I don't really like it and you know i didn't do particularly well in my a levels which are like I don't, I don't know what the equivalent is for you but like the when you're 18 and you then go to the university yeah. whatever that sure. is in your world and i wanted to do uh acting at university so i was really into kind of like the drama side of life loved kind of the stage and i didn't get accepted into any of the universities that I wanted to go to and it's not surprising really because there there was only like six of them that did it as a degree and very small number of places and I wasn't very well when I was doing it and like looking back I'm like it's all good but that kind of feeling of being rejected that feeling of not kind of being able to do what you really want to do at that time was really tough for me I really wanted to do it. And what ended up happening as I went through clearing, which is how you get into university when you haven't been offered a place. And I ended up doing a degree in music, which is kind of aligned to the act. It's like a performance art, you know, it's in that space. And if I were to look back now and tell my younger self is that I would say to myself, you weren't being rejected. You were being redirected into Mm -hmm. where you were supposed to be. And I absolutely was supposed to be on that particular course. I know for sure now with the people I was doing it with. Um, I have the bestest friends, the people in my squad, et cetera, come from that space and that time. And I was supposed to be there doing that. I wasn't supposed to be doing the other thing. And I think whenever I think now about feeling rejected, I automatically now go to hang on a minute this feeling of rejection is just me getting into the place where I'm supposed to be. It's being redirected into something. It's being repositioned in your life to something you don't know about yet, but something great is going to happen from this rejection. And I use that as an example for a lot of people, actually. And when I'm thinking about it now, like I can, you know, when you can like still feel the feeling of like, Oh, it felt horrible at the time. And there's been lots of hard things that have happened since then. But I think as well, when you're a teenager and you, You don't necessarily have the resilience or the understanding or the experience that all of these things will work out well. It's that scary moment in time. And I always think to, you know, when you're 17, you you think you're going to have to make all these big decisions about life. Now, I did a music degree and I do nothing about music in my job. Doesn't mean it hasn't helped me. Doesn't mean it wasn't a brilliant thing to do. And I absolutely loved it. So I think there's something there about allowing yourself to be redirected.
1: Now yourself to be redirected that's cool all right like to so, feel uh, to
0: feel the rejection and then go go with wherever it is to feel you. it still feel whatever the emotion is still feel it. like then, i always think feel, feel your feelings first like allow mm-hmm. your we so often suppress them feel your feelings feel all of them understand why those feelings are there and then take a deep breath and step into wherever it takes you
1: yeah okay what other, off the back of all this conversation and everything which I've discussed, actually, what I'll do is, sorry, what I normally do at the end of these conversations is I, is I run through a bit of a, uh, a summary of what yeah. I've heard you share. You can clarify what you've heard. Uh, yeah. You can clarify if I've said anything slightly off or if everything's perfect or if there's anything which you'd like to add to it as well. Sure. But when we, the very briefly, like when we were talking about how you define success, you were talking about uh, living a really, joyful life, right? Like realizing the joy, doing more of it, bringing into lives of other people as well is really important. That's the purpose and the impact piece for you. Uh, appreciating the moments uh, is very different to intentionally creating those joyful moments as well. And the uh, happiness feels like a massive thing. Always has to be there all the time. It's so hard, but you can feel joy Even when you're having bad times, and even in difficult times, right? And so that's why that's where you get the work joy versus work gloom is because you're trying to pursue happiness in work gloom, as opposed to just pursuing joy in work joy. And so for you, joy basically just means that you're enough, you're in your flow, and creative, and solution spark, and you know it can be at home and work and in growth and in development. And you even found that from a young age, you really wanted to be. Uh, you wanted to be happy. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be happy when I grow up and you went through all of these different themes of pursuing, trying to be happy. And, and then eventually that started to transition to joy after financial sector, law, sports, um, uh, every employed role you kind of tried you, every time you made the decision to be with your full self with the professional filter, when we spoke about boundaries, yeah. uh, there are always opportunities which came up. Right. And so you value authenticity, knowing who you are, acting in line with it. You value your networking relationships. Now, you had those six Cs. I think there were connectors, conjurers, you got comrades and your cheerleaders, you got your challengers and creatives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, And we then spoke a lot about mentors and making sure that you find the right mentors for yourself, right? Like you got to be able to find the mentors that are, incredible for you they're going to challenge you in the right ways and conserve as many of those sections as possible and that they have different uh backgrounds and they can provide different views and we spoke a lot about mentoring and we spoke about what vin does and we spoke about who some of my mentors are for me and then you kind of just like you know they're the areas which you're Really good at you want to supercharge, and there are the areas which you want to do work on. There are areas which you're going to struggle with, and there are some areas where you're like, "This is not all my wheelhouse. So I'm just going to avoid it like the plague and outsource it." Yep. Fortunately, there are some things we can't outsource, right? Like we can't um, we can't outsource someone else eating good food. We can't <laughs> we can't outsource uh, someone else doing exercise for us, right? No, uh, I've can, tried. It doesn't is,
0: work. <laughs>
1: if you tried, yeah, it doesn't work. Got it. Um, just get someone else to lift heavy weights. Yeah. Then you'll get strong, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're a great believer in experimentation. Don't stick with something too long. But at the same time, you've got to be able to double down, triple down, quadruple down on things which really are most important to you and feel most aligned. And so I think, yeah, there was a the question. like, What was the stuff you loved to do before work took over your life, right? Yeah. Um, and re-engage was, with it. Re-engage with it. That's That's the part of it, right? Uh, I like that when my daughter goes to ballet, they've got the, uh, what do they call them? Silver swans. Yes. Silver swans. Um, And so then we were talking about sacrifice versus the reward. So trying out your goals before you commit to them. Habits is different to willpower. Uh, Working okay. Like is everything good enough versus being exceptional? and when is good enough good enough and when you're using excuses which is basically your emotions versus the reasons which is your logic how can you actually lay it it all out and so then there's the sense of inner belief in yourself and doing something in line with your purpose and knowing that you actually deserve it right and then when we're talking about types of boundaries we're talking about self-accountability and people you invest in how you actually spend your time and you said if you're finding yourself saying you should do something versus you choose to do something, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. You well, should you should probably do it. You, 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 you probably, should, probably
0: want to investigate why you're why saying a should, should and not a could yeah. or can or want to.
1: I think I've heard Tony Robbins say, uh, "Everyone, most people are just shooting all over themselves." Yeah, shooting Stop shooting, shooting all there. over yeah. yourself, will yeah. you? Yeah. yeah, I should do that. I should do yeah. this. I should do I that. Should, right? I should, I should, you're I not. Yeah, I you want know, to, like, I'm excited
0: to, I really want to make this happen, you know. And I'm committed
1: to doing it, yeah. yeah. And we were talking about a yes versus a no, and uh, yes if as well. And then you're talking about the different types of boundaries, like the firm strongly held, the ones which don't even exist, and then the bouncy ones as well, right? The yeah. ones which can move around. And then just kind of stay true to yourself. And you were sharing about like what's lacking in your life and the areas which you're trying to work on. And and when I asked you what's lacking in your life, you were saying, well, these are the things which I want to work on more. So, yeah, cool, it's a it's a nice I've done market. a lot of work
0: That's on my... this already.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, cool. And then you were sharing that when you were 16 or 17, you kept getting fatigued. You had a challenge, a health challenge you were at a high performing school where they had high standards and Mm -hmm. you were never good enough. You're feeling like you're failing. You didn't get accepted to universities and you just found that you weren't now with looking at hindsight, you weren't being rejected. You were just being redirected.
0: Yeah. What,
1: what else do you want to do? What do you want to correct on that? And what would you like to add to it that you feel might be missed if anything?
0: I don't think there's anything particularly to correct. I think you very good summary and making notes and making sure uh, we've got those things going. I think just to add is that you all have we all have choices that we can make every day into how we decide to live, whether it's working on our goals, whether it's thinking about the conversations we need to have, whether it's thinking about doing hard things and i think we need to remember that we are in control of those choices. now there's always going to be consequences to any choices that we make but we have the choice. so never give over all of your power to other people and think that you are just passively sitting there in your life. make mm-hmm. the choices that are right for you. you can always change those choices later on. you can always change a new goal, you can set a new thing up. you can do different things differently as things evolve allow yourself the ability to adjust i think that's a really important thing as you go through life adjust what works and keep going for it but make the choices know who you are and make the choices based on who you are and if you haven't done the work on knowing who you are and what you want do that work first because that will help guide you through everything so we always start with like who am i what's important to me What are my values? Where am I trying to get to? And do that work and let that guide you in your choices.
1: Perfect note to end it on. Thank you, Beth. I've enjoyed this conversation.
0: Me too. Thank you so much for having me on, Harry.
1: So I hope you received a whole lot of value from engaging in that conversation. What were the key takeaways for you? What can you schedule in your life right now to make sure that the time you just invested into listening to this exceptional conversation with this amazing mentor and this amazing individual is time that wasn't misused, but was time that you've allocated properly to enhancing your life and improving it. Whatever it is, schedule it now, practice it now. Be the successful person you're meant to be. Live with purpose.